0: Life Audio. Today we are starting off our last set of 50 psalms. We're doing Psalm 101 to Psalm 150. And we're talking about the idea of love and justice within the heart of a leader. And while we're looking primarily at a Psalm of David, these leadership philosophies and principles are something that anybody that's in a leadership role can take to heart and put into practice in a biblical way. And so as we unpack Psalm 101, I think you're going to find there's a lot of things that we can both look for when we are trying to align ourselves underneath a leader and then also we can embody when we are in a leadership role ourselves and that doesn't necessarily just mean within the church but within the kingdom and as believers as we are impacting the kingdom that crosses all the boundaries from our jobs to our families to our relationships i really think that today's episode is going to bless you stay tuned hey friends welcome to the hearing jesus podcast If you're ready to grow in your faith and to step confidently into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so that you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Recording in progress. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we are starting our final set of 50 Psalms. And if you're just joining us, one of the things that we've been doing over the last oh six months or so is we've been going through the Psalms one chapter a day to do a devotional reading. And the reason why I started that was, well, a couple reasons really. The first was the Hearing Jesus Podcast is all about helping you to hear God's voice more clearly. And we know from the New Testament that the book of Psalms was the one book that Jesus and the disciples quoted the most often. And so it really was the hymn book and the prayer book and the song book of Jesus. And so for me, my thinking is, is if I'm going after the heart of Jesus and I want to be able to think like he thinks and act like he acts, then how better to do that by starting with this foundational aspect of something that he carried with him, this psalm book, this prayer book. And then the second reason why Started doing this was because I was hearing over and over from women that they were in a season of life where they just did not have time to dedicate to God's Word the way they would like to. They didn't have time to sit down and get out their, you know, color coding and their Bibles and their notebooks and their journals because maybe they had young kids at home or they were working a lot of hours where they just didn't have the emotional energy to do it. And I think we've all been there at one point or another in our lives. And so my desire to kind of meet that need, the needs of my listeners, and then also to unpack what we were learning in the Psalms really kind of led me to this place where I thought, let's do an audio devotional where we can unpack one Psalm a day. I can share a little bit of the history and the culture and the context because while we know that the Bible, not just the Psalms, but the whole Bible was written for us, it was not originally written to us. It was written to an audience in a different space, in a different time, in a different culture. And sometimes some of those nuances are lost on us. And so my heart is really to help you unpack some of those things. And so if you were going along the Psalms study with us, Every single Monday, what I do is I mail out in our newsletter journaling prompts that go along with each of these psalms, a key verse I share, and then a journaling prompt to help you get the information from your head into your heart. That's completely free. If you would like the back issues or the back prompts from the previous episodes that we've done, those are available in my store, shehears.org. It's only $5 for the first set, $6 for the second. And what you get with that guided journal is a link to the actual audio journal or the audio devotional. There is space for journaling. There's the prompt and a key verse. And what a lot of women do is they use that as part of their daily devotional. Again, it's not to take up a lot of time. Um, you know, you can spend even just a couple minutes journaling through some of the thoughts that you have, but the goal is really to help you get the information from your head and into your heart. So given all of that, we're going to be jumping into Psalm 101 today. We took a little bit of a break. We did a uh, friends and family series, which if you haven't, check that out yet, I encourage you to do so. I had five fantastic women on my show that just spoke about different things that God is doing in their lives, but it was such an engaging week hearing about what God is doing. And we saw this really neat thread that God wove throughout. And so I'd be anxious to hear your thoughts on that, see if you could pick that up. And then this past week we did a spring break series and I re-aired our worship series because One of the things that we hear a lot about and see a lot in the scriptures is worship, especially in the Psalms. And so for any of you that had not previously listened to the worship series, I would encourage you to go back and do that because a good foundational understanding of worship is really helpful to help us understand the Psalms. So we're going to go ahead and I'm going to read, I'm reading from the NIV and I'm starting at verse one, Psalm 101. And this is a Psalm of David. And this is actually, now we are in book four of the Psalms. So while I'm talking about being a book three for me, as far as the guided journal, we know that in the, in scripture, the Psalms are breaking, broken up into five books, the Psalter. That's what um, this, the book of Psalms is called. And the, the five different books, a lot of times represent different, times in history. But it's important to remember that the Psalms aren't necessarily chronological. And so this is a Psalm of David. David, at this point in history, compared to what we've been reading, would not have been on the th- on the throne at that, this point. But this was either a Psalm that David wrote earlier when he was on the throne, or this is a Psalm that the Israelites were using to point forward when they were looking for a king. This is one of only two Psalms of David that is in all of the entirety of book four of the Psalms. Starting at verse one, I will sing of your love and justice to you. O Lord. I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with blameless heart. I will set before my eyes, no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate, they will not cling to me. Men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him will I not endure. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning will I put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I read the scriptures, the thought goes through my head, what does this have to do with me? And while there are a lot of different ways to read scripture, I think it's really important to remember that the the word of God is primarily a self-revelation of God. And so... We can look to King David or we can look to some of the characters in scripture for examples, but really we don't want to emulate those people. We want to emulate their God. And so as God reveals his character and his nature, those are the things that we're to chase after. So the big idea in this psalm is really about leadership. And it talks about how a true leader must be really careful to lead a blameless life, because that ends up becoming the standard for others. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. But for me, I've served in a lot of different leadership capacities. And what I've learned over the years is sometimes the people that I'm leading will do things like they start to talk like me, or they start to dress like me, or I've even had some, you know, I had red hair for a stint, they ended up having Red hair like me. And even just these things about my personality or different quirks, or, you know, I love to go different places. They would go to those places. It was a reflection of my public life, became their public life. And so then a reflection of our private life should also be good enough to be a reflection in their private life. And I think sometimes as leaders, we forget that. But it's really important to have consistency. So who I am behind closed doors, who I am in my home is the same person that I am on the stage. It's the same person I am on the mission field. It's the same person I am when I write my books. But that's not always the case with leadership. And so as we look to Psalm 101, these are some of the things we're going to unpack today. I think we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to have a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we'll dive into the rest of the Psalm. Stay tuned. So as we are unpacking some of these leadership principles, there's a couple different themes that come up. One of the themes is that really leaders should only be demanding that their followers are living up to the level of their own moral standards. And that's a theme we see throughout this psalm. And then ultimately our commitments and our behaviors and our thought patterns, all of it should really shape our personal life and our world. This is a psalm that many view as a vow that King David made when he ascended onto the throne. And then if we think about this in terms of where Israel was in this period of history, after the exile, there was no king, there was no Davidic king. And this this call to Um, This kind of behavior, this kind of leadership was kind of just suspended. There was nobody to fulfill that. And so while maybe at the time David didn't write it as a messianic psalm, what ended up happening was it, it became a messianic psalm because when there was no Davidic king that arose to take the throne, it became an opportunity for them to look forward to what the messianic king would assume once he became part of that royal throne. So starting at uh, verse one, I'm going to just unpack a couple things that I think might be helpful. Um, In verse one, it says, I will sing of your love and justice to you, O Lord, I will sing praise. So this psalm records the vow as a king, as though he were taking an oath of office. And this is a backdrop that we can understand because it talks about the government government ministers in verse six, and then he talks about the responsibility of the overall welfare of the whole city in verse eight. And so in this context, we see the commitment of the psalmist to maintaining justice as one of the first and foremost expressions of a royal duty that he has to God in order to maintain a good government. The psalm also pictures the kind of heart that the king of Israel, and really if we're talking about leadership, any leader should have if he wants to rule according to God's plans and God's desires. The attitudes that are expressed really apply to those in leadership within the kingdom, and that doesn't necessarily mean church leadership. And and believe me, it absolutely applies to church leadership. I've I've sat under some healthy leaders, and I've sat under some unhealthy leaders in the church, and I can tell you the ones that apply these principles, it's a drastic different environment, a drastic different impact, a drastically different culture when they follow these leadership principles. But ultimately as believers, we are called to um, share the gospel, to know Jesus and to make him known wherever we are at. So whether that is in our workplace or in our schools or in our friendships, that attitude that's expressed is something that should permeate our hearts as well. The idea of love and justice that's talked about here, I think it's important to point out that word for love is said, And it seems like sometimes in the Hebrew, there's just not enough words or language in English to convey certain meanings. That's not like a word for word translation. Instead, what I think is helpful is to understand the concepts. And so the word has said, yes, it, it translates as love. It also translates as mercy and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and loving kindness. And so here when that that concept of hesed is coupled with justice. It highlights this attribute of God that the king will emulate. And those are characteristics that as leaders, it, it's a marker of, of being a virtuous person. The, the, it, is, it was seen throughout the ancient Near East. I mean, when we think about the time frame that this was written, but it has an impact for us as well. This concept of Hasid should really be the foundational aspect of how we are to lead. Mercy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, loving kindness. This first is the first noun that we see, in, in in the in the very first verse, and it's referring to the Lord's conduct, and that's how we see an indication of His loving character. And then the second noun that we see is justice, and that refers to His conduct according to His principles of justice. And so, as leaders. We should be operating love and justice. They can't be separated. Going down to verse two, I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I think it's important if you go on, it says, I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. When it's talking about his house, that's most likely talking about the house of the king or more widely talking about the kingdom itself. And so in the light of the idea that the king is the guardian of the Lord's house, by extension, it could mean the temple. So what does that mean? What is your house? where are you serving, whether your house is your workplace or your literal house itself, or maybe you're leading a church, whatever it is that you're doing, these principles should apply to your house, your house of leadership. And then when it talks about a blameless heart, the intention of this psalm is to define how the king will conduct his affairs with a blameless heart. And so the opposite of a blameless heart is what? A perverse heart, a perverted heart. And the king is really rejecting that in verse four. And so there's seven ethical stipulations that we see described in his policy that I think is really helpful. So in verse three, we see, um, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile and I hate what faithless people do, I'll have no part of it. And then in verse four, the perverse of heart shall be far away from me. And then in verse five, whoever slanders the neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. And then whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. In verse seven, no one who practices deceit will dwell in my house and no one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. And so this is a list that is really similar to a list that we see in Proverbs six. They're not identical, but they're really similar. And that list, in Proverbs is a list of things that the Lord hates. And so what we're seeing in this administrative manifesto, so to speak, of the king is he's looking at those things and he's putting them into a practical reality for his leadership. And so that's an encouragement for you. If you're in a a position of leadership, maybe look at those lists in Proverbs six, and then here in Psalm 101, and how can those apply to your situation? These are really amazing leadership principles that I think will stand the test of time. In verse 3, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate, they will not cling to me. I think that word cling to me is something I, I just want to point out. Um, he's saying I'm going to have no part, of, part in it. And and the literal tr- translation means it will not cleave to me. And if you think about... Um, The way evil has a tendency to cling to us, he's saying, I'm going to have no part in it. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about how sin clings so closely to us. And if you are somebody that has ever struggled with a lifestyle of sin, you recognize that word, how sin clings to us. And so what he's saying is, I'm going to have no part in it. I think that's really important for those that are in leadership, especially leadership of the church, that there is an accountability structure, that there are people to speak into the life of that leader, to make sure that sin does not cling to their hearts. And then in verse 4, again, it's talking about this perverse heart. So the NIV translates that phrase as a people rather than a condition. And so the psalmist is basically describing the condition of the human heart that he rejects because of his personal and his ethical policy. And so that adjective perverse, it means crooked or twisted, or the opposite of straight or upright. And so that's a condition that is opposite of the blameless heart, which is what he is seeking out. Again, just really great, amazing foundational principles for leadership. Verse 5, whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, will him I put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him will I not endure. So whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. The Hebrew word for put to silence, it literally means to cut off. And so sometimes that sounds harsh. But if you're thinking about this in terms of how slander and gossip affects us as individuals, And then you think about that in terms of what that means for your leadership. Sometimes it's healthy to cut off the people that continue to slander and gossip. And while on some hands, some people might say that, wow, that's really harsh. In all honesty, it's protecting those that you're leading. And sometimes Cutting off the one person or or maybe a group of people that are displaying that behavior pattern in your life will be better for the amount of people that you're leading because we know that those things impact, they impact the heart of a leader in a way that sometimes no other thing can. And then when it talks about a proud heart, that literally translates to a wide heart, meaning it's wide enough for evil to dwell in there. And so that's a term that's found in wisdom literature that I think um, that wide heart, I think, helps us understand what he means by pride or proud heart a little bit better. In verse six, my eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me the faithful in the land. Who are these people? Well, these are most likely the officials in the king's court. And it's a parallel with that phrase, the one whose walk is blameless. And so the king's officials must emulate the king's own character. And while we see even in all of these verses, verses five through eight, it's outlining the king's public life, the leader's public life. There are other verses Like two through four that are talking about his public policy. And so here, what the king is doing, he's outlining his vetting process that will lead to selecting those individuals who comply with his ethical ethical mandate, his, um, you know, think about this in terms of like his officials that he would put in court. This phrase, it means the most faithful in the land. I think that's really important when it comes to putting people in, in positions of leadership, like when we're delegating. We as leaders have to make sure that those that we are delegating to also subscribe to this heart of being blameless. And so when it says in verse six, he whose walk is blameless will minister the king in Israel. He employed these officials to execute the responsibilities of the government to speak on behalf of the king and The righteousness of his rule as king depended on their effectiveness, their righteousness. And so as leaders, to be effective, again, as we delegate, um, our impact can only be as effective as our team. It's just, again, another really effective leadership principle. Verse 7, no one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Six times the psalmist uses the negative, not no et cetera, to exclude certain behaviors from his Royal program of operations. And I think about this in terms of maybe when we're hiring or we're, we even, um, maybe we're looking for a new church and we're trying to examine how do we know if this leader is an effective leader or somebody I should align myself with, or even, um, you know, there's so much online ministry now. How do we, how do we know what's the temperature gauge? Well, this is a really good way we can look at the things that they're not supposed to be doing. And then also look at the things that they are supposed to be doing. And then finally in verse eight, um, I love this part. It says every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. So every morning in this culture, what would happen is justice would have been dispensed early in the morning when the elders of the city met at the city gate to deal with any of the problems that the people of the city brought to them. It's the same thing that happened, if you remember back to Ruth chapter 4, when Boaz went to the city gate to kind of secure that other kinsman redeemer, and he went to the elders and he was speaking on behalf of the widows. It's a, a place where justice is doled out for those the marginalized of society. And so a good king takes the responsibility of justice seriously. And so here, what we're seeing is the king is expelling from the city evils every morning, and he wants that city to be something that is the city of the Lord. What's that mean for us? It means that as leaders, we have to deal with things. We can't just brush them under the rug. We can't just hope that they go away. Sometimes confronting uh, evil, essentially, is difficult, but dealing with those problems is an act of justice that God calls us to as leaders. So given all that insight, I'm going to reread Psalm 101, starting at verse 1. I will sing of your love and justice to you. O Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate. They will not cling to me. Men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, will him I put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him will I not endure. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me." No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Lord God, as we look to Psalm 101 as a way that you reveal your character and your nature, Lord, help us to seek after that. Help us to be the kind of leaders that seek after your heart, to be, to be, um, instilling these principles in our own lives, whether it is a leader in a church or a leader in our home or just even a leader in our heart. Lord God, help us to embody these principles in a way that looks to you as the example, that looks to Jesus as the example. Lord, I thank you for these words and the treasure that they are and the way that you continue to reveal yourself to us through your word. Lord, I pray for my friends today that you would bless them and you would use your words to impact them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey friend, do you feel like you need a little bit of one-on-one? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I go through the scriptures or I go through the biblical concepts, I find myself thinking, okay, but how do I actually apply that in my life? Or... If you've come to this podcast it's likely because you desire to hear Jesus more clearly to be confident in what he's saying in your life the way he's leading you. I want you to know that I offer life coaching and spiritual direction. And while the two are similar, they're also kind of different. Life coaching is when we set goals and and I help hold you accountable and help break those down into bite-sized manageable pieces to help you achieve those goals. But spiritual direction takes it one step further. We invite Jesus into the process. And through spiritual direction, the goal of that really is to help you hear God's voice more clearly. And so there's things that we will do like prayer projects and spiritual gifts testing and a life map and all sorts of things to help you get to a place where you can see this thread of redemption that God has woven throughout your life. And then also to set you up so that you can hear God's voice for yourself. Because ultimately, the reason why I do the, the podcast and I write the books and I have all the resources available is because I want you to settle into this place where you are confident in knowing the difference between God's voice, your own voice and the enemy's voice. So if that sounds like something that you would like to do, um, life coaching right now runs about $97 for an hour. If that's for one person. I also have group rates available. And if you want to schedule that, it's if you go to shehears.org, you can go, there's a Calendly link where it says work with me and you can set up a time that works for you. I would count it an honor and a privilege to be able to walk alongside of you in that process. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more.